So as we get into the reading shortly this morning, um, we continue another sermon series on the book of Acts. And in the previous chapters, we learned uh, that Stephen, uh, a deacon in the church, he was stoned to death. And, be, and persecution was increasing, and it resulted in a growth spurt of the Christian church. The church was no longer uh, confined to Jerusalem, but it was also spreading out now, as promised uh, by Jesus in Acts 1, that it was going to spread out to start in Jerusalem, go out to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But when the church goes beyond its walls or boundaries, the church will come into contact and enter into relationships with diverse people and be confronted with diverse thoughts, diverse issues, diverse personalities. And we sometimes get to know those we haven't known before. What we, and then what we thought we once knew, we sometimes think, well, we no longer know. And circumstances and situations are different than what we are used to. At our elders' meeting this week, a devotional was shared from various passages in the book of Acts that challenged us with the questions of what sacrifices are we willing to make to allow room for diversity? What sacrifices do we have to make to allow for the unity of the Holy Spirit in our diverse churches? Where does transformation need to occur? So as we get into this passage, those are some of the questions that we can keep in mind. Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 8, verses, uh, I think in the bulletin it says 9, but we'll start at verse 4 and go to verse 40. I was going through it this morning and thought we're going to just start a little ahead of that. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 to 40. Again, a longer passage. Um, so you can get out your pew Bibles or your phones and follow along if you wish. Chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. And he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came at some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning it was quite a challenging message to prepare because initially I was only going to preach on Acts 8, uh, 9 through 25 and just preach about Simon and then go through that passage in a more detailed way um, explaining what everything all meant in that passage. But I was, as I was preparing for that and reading in, in a, prior to this passage and following this passage, um, I felt compelled to just take a step back and look at the bigger picture and then include both stories in the message this morning. So not as much detail, not going verse by verse, but more looking at the big picture of what's going on in this, these stories, in this passage of chapter 8. So the title of today's message actually is The Transformation of Whom? And I think it's safe to answer that Simon the Sorcerer was transformed by the Holy Spirit, using Philip to perform miracles and signs, and also later with uh, Peter and John coming into Samaria. And through the second story, we also hear about the Ethiopian eunuch being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel message of Jesus, as he was explained the gospel message of Isaiah by Philip. And as in our readings, we hear as well other and several other men and women being transformed by the power of the Spirit and the gospel message. The Holy Spirit is at work in these passages, and throughout Acts, of course, 
but in these passages, transforming and changing the hearts of God's people. But often in these two stories, we overlook one other major character who I think gets transformed. Does anybody want to guess who else has changed, converted, and transformed by the Gospel as we read this passage? Well, hopefully us, of course, but Philip. Philip is changed. He's transformed. Philip was first introduced to us in Acts 6, verse 5. He was one of the chosen seven deacons, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and you can read that in chapter 6, verse 4. And he was called to assist in distributing food to the widows in Jerusalem. Philip had a specific task and calling. Now, on account of the stoning of Stephen, who was also uh, selected as a chosen deacon, people started leaving Jerusalem, and they were scattered about. And Philip was one of them that left Jerusalem, and he went to the city in Samaria. He left his diaconal post in Jerusalem to begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, chapter 8, verse 5, and perform miracles and signs, verse 6. God has transformed Philip from a deacon who serves to a deacon who proclaims and heals and removes evil spirits. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is at work transforming Philip. Now, there was probably already some comfort and certainty and familiarity occurring in the Jerusalem Christian-formed church. Now, I didn't say reformed church because it was just a formed church at this point. They didn't need reforming yet. But much had already changed in Jerusalem. And people were getting used to how things should be. And thinking, like, why does anything need to change, really? I mean, with change, we know, too, it's often difficult to see things that could be gained or enriched. It's hard to see how is it all going to turn out. But with change, what we can see is that there's often losses. And it's easier to see the losses. And you know what? It's okay to mourn and to grieve these losses. But we have to let them go at a certain time too. But it's okay to mourn and grieve losses. But our God desires to see things formed and reformed and and changed. And he He will shake things up. He will shake people up for His purposes, for the growing of His kingdom. Now, God himself does not change. We know that from his word. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But his church, his church is a living organism. And it cannot stay the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A living organism that does stay the same is probably a dead organism. And mind you, even death, an organism, still changes to dust. But what church wants to become dust? None, right? Now, keep in mind, Philip is out of his comfort zone. And likely his whole life growing up, his parents would have stressed to him, Philip, you stay away from those Samaritans. They're not good people. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they had a strained relationship. They were not to associate with one another. And even though the Samaritans were descendants of the Jews, the Jews would deny that part of the history. The Samaritans were a mixed blood, they were seen as trouble, and they were not liked by the Jewish people. So stay away. But Philip's no longer confined to the boundaries of the Jewish city of Jerusalem. 
He's no longer tending to the widow's needs and worshiping in Jerusalem. Philip, as we hear, goes into the city in Samaria. And while in the city, Philip uh, comes across several people that he probably was not used to. And several people that maybe he didn't count on meeting. And perhaps some that he didn't even want to meet. And one of the people that he encountered was a sorcerer. And further on his travels, another was a eunuch. So in the verses of 9 to 25, we're introduced to Simon, who was a sorcerer. And Scripture refers to diviners and mediums and sorcery and magicians and witchcraft, and often refers to these in the context of false prophets and evil. These folks practicing this sort of thing are turning to other gods and even turning to Satan. They are not committing their lives to the one triune God, but pledging their lives to another spirit and evil practices. So personally, it's a lot safer to stay away from these people. Well, Simon practiced sorcery when Philip had encountered him. And then Simon began to follow Philip everywhere, astonished by Philip's great, great signs and miracles. And Simon himself, as we read, believed and was baptized, and the Holy Spirit transformed the heart of Simon the sorcerer. And yes, later in the message, he did fall short, and Peter and John had to proclaim to him as well. And then Philip leaves Samaria, and he's on the road to Gaza. Again, out of his known territory of Jerusalem. And on his way, Philip meets this Ethiopian. The Ethiopian, unlike Simon, was not given a specific name other than Ethiopian eunuch. Now, according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, the well-known Jewish law stated that nobody who has been emasculated or has their male organ cut off is not able to enter the house of the Lord. So any male with part of their sexual organs removed would not be able to enter into worship. That was the law. The law, the Old Testament law, had distinctions between sexually normal people and sexually abnormal people. This eunuch, sexually abnormal, would have been treated like someone who had leprosy, like a disease. And he should not be entering the temple of the Lord. And actually, people should be staying clear from him. He was a sexual and ethnic minority. So based on the Old Testament laws, the Jewish laws, if he believed in God and approached the temple for baptism, he would have been turned away. And we read here, that he was on his way to worship in Jerusalem, but likely would not have been able to. These passages are similar in that Philip encounters two people that he technically should not be approaching, a sinful evil sorcerer and a labeled unclean eunuch, both diverse, both sinful, and both welcomed into the new church. Both would have repented and believed and be baptized, but the walls were being torn down for Philip. He was going beyond than what he was used to in the city of Jerusalem. Later in Acts 21, verses 8 to 9, we also read that Philip had four daughters, and his four daughters prophesied to people. Again, walls being torn down. Things are not the same as they used to be. In the book of Acts, many non-believers are being converted and transformed. 
But also what's happening in Acts is many believers are being converted and transformed. And that is what we need to be aware of. Where is God transforming our hearts and our minds today? Rachel Held Alv Evans, she's a speaker and author, and she just passed away uh, last month at a young age. But ref- she refers to this passage in her book, Searching for Sunday. And she states this about Philip. Philip got out of God's way. He remembered that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Evans goes on to say how, how we are so good at getting in God's way and so good at preventing ministry from happening. And to top it off, what happens in the story is that holy water was found at the side of the road. It was a puddle, probably. But holy water was found at the side of the road to baptize this Ethiopian eunuch. You see, our God can redeem anyone and anything because our God can do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Now, I think we all know that most churches do not have it together. But in particular, when churches think that they're falling apart and they're losing members, maybe pews are emptier than what they should be, often a common statement will be, well, we better get our act together inside before we can share the gospel message to those outside. It Practically, it could make sense. But I think that's getting in God's way. How do we know whether or not God will use those on the outside to change and transform us on the inside, so to speak? I'm using this inside-outside language just to keep things simple. But how do we know that he won't use people New people, people we embrace to change us on the inside. You see, it's not about one or the other, it's both. We need to work on what's going on in here and out there. Todd Bolsinger, author of Canoeing the Mountains and Presbyterian Pastor, he states that today every church is in uncharted territories and probably no different than the early church. We cannot necessarily look back at our past and specifically determine how we're going to lead today in the present. Gone are those days when our past can be used in the present. Leadership in churches today is basically reinventing the wheel. Leadership is not twisting God's word, but it is turning to God's word, like what Philip did with the Ethiopian. It's turning to God's word, and leadership is reforming more and more day by day to discern What is God's will for his church today in this place, in this community, in this culture? Bolsinger says that the maps that we used to use for years for church culture are no longer the maps that we can use today. We're in uncharted territory and we are off the map. But I think it's also comforting to know that we're not the first church to go off the map. Again, the Jerusalem Christian formed church was being sent off the map by God. And many churches following that, including us. And when God sends us off the map, He doesn't send us going alone. We go with Him, and He's there ahead of us even. The leaders and people were confronted with challenges and diverse people that at one point, it would have been easier just to say, what does the Old Testament Scripture say? But it was no longer easy. You see, the hearts of the leaders, the heart of Philip, had to be transformed. 
the Holy Spirit was at work in the deacon and the preacher and miracle worker of Philip. Take note how in both stories the power and work of the Holy Spirit is very evident. So we're called to be obedient to the Spirit's leading. We are to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit telling us in 2019 here in Exeter about diversity and embracing people who are intentionally sinning such as Simon or those who maybe appear different such as, as the Ethiopian? What prejudices do we have to get rid of our, from ourselves today? How is God transforming me and you today? And whose lives is God calling us to enter into today? The early church was becoming more and more diverse. The early church was not for like-minded people. It was for sinners of all kinds. And the church today should be no less diverse. And as with the early Christians, we too are called to repent and believe. We also have to willingly open ourselves and freely open ourselves to the Lord. Be vulnerable to the work of the Holy Spirit. Be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the lives of others. And we need to repent from getting in the way of the Lord and His kingdom work. God distributed many good gifts to the early church. He distributed the gift of good news. He distributed the gift of forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. God distributed the gift of the Holy Spirit. And earlier in the book of Acts, the gift of the Spirit was poured upon the disciples in Jerusalem to equip them, to empower them, to spread the Gospel to all nations, to all peoples. God distributes the gift of unity to His church. A church can be very diversified and should be very diversified and still very unified and needs to be very unified. And this is done through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have the gospel message of Jesus Christ in common and His Holy Spirit convicting us of what Jesus has done for me and for others who are like me and for others who are not like me. The message starts and continues with the story of Jesus and how we are all special to God. So the gospel went beyond Jerusalem, and it was spread to Samaria. In Acts 8, God has been at work through Philip in Samaria, and through Philip, God has been performing miracles, and the gospel is spreading to the Samaritans so that they too can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They too can hear about their Lord and Savior. And the Samaritans were listening to Philip and believing the message of God. The church, despite persecution, was growing. So the Samaritans heard the story of Jesus Christ. They heard his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection. They, they heard how he ascended to the Lord's right hand. And they learned that Christ is no longer physically present on earth, but Christ will return again. In the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in us. And we're to partner with God in his kingdom work and get out of his way when we're preventing it. God having graced his people with the Holy Spirit God has graced His people with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of the resurrected Savior to all people. God has graced His people with the power of the Holy Spirit to be a diverse church, unified through the Holy Spirit of Jesus. So is God transforming our hearts today? And where do we need 
maybe to sacrifice or just to put our agenda aside for the sake and growth of God's kingdom on earth, giving God the glory in all things. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that so powerfully came upon your church. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that you gave to each of us, and may we receive these gifts not for our own use, but for the benefit of your church and for the glory of your name. May your, gift work, may your Spirit rather work in us so others may see the risen Savior at work in our lives and in this world. May Jesus Christ be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. It's only in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.